Hello there and welcome to Uncommon Thinking. This is the sixth part of our journey through Acts chapter 17. We uh, now have gotten Paul to the capital city of Greece, which is Athens. And I do want to let you know, give you a little bit of warning, that the next two episodes, this one and the next one, might be just a tad longer. There's a lot of stuff to, to parse through, but I'll do my best to keep it to a, a safe listening um, uh, duration. We're not going to be here for an hour or anything like that. So uh, I'll do my best to keep it as brief as I can. So to begin, as we always do, let's read from uh, the New International Version. We're going to start with the 16th verse and read through the 21st. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day, with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seemed to be advocating foreign gods. And they said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. They then took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. And that ends verse 21. So who wouldn't like a life like that? Just to sit around all day talking about high-level ideas and concepts and theories, and uh, you know, I, I, well, I guess a lot of us maybe wouldn't like that, but it would be something that I would enjoy. And um, here, he, here he was amongst a group of people where that was their lifestyle. That was what they did. But he got their attention, strangely enough, by sounding like a madman. I think there's a really important lesson there. If we're really going to spread the gospel of Christ to people, we can't be afraid of looking like madmen, because there will be some who will consider us to be. But Paul was nothing if not passionate, right? In verse 16, he says he was greatly distressed, but the word is often translated stronger than that in other literature. It says that, literally, his spirit was provoked. The image is that every idol he saw, every false teaching he heard, every lie that he heard told by others was like a knife jabbing him in the spirit and twisting. There was a sense of spiritual pain in this word, like the pain that we feel when we see something happen around us that we find reprehensible and beyond the pale. I think it's a somber image for many of us today. And we have to ask ourselves the question sometimes, do, are we still feeling that kind of pain when we see evil around us? Now, in verse 17, Paul is portrayed as almost literally standing in the agora, grabbing people off the streets, Jews or not, and speaking with them about Christ. I think all he needed were some badly printed tracts or something, and, and he could pass for somebody in the 20th century. He spent all of his time trying to get people to listen to the gospel message, the man on the street corner crying out, in a city that really had no real reason to consider his message as any more valuable than any other. 
but he also went to the synagogues and he spoke to the Jews and the, the Greeks who had converted. Anyone who was willing to listen, anyone who would give him an ear, that's who he spoke to. Now, it mentions then Epicureans and Stoics. We need to spend a little bit of time talking about who those people were. The Epicureans believed that the best life one could live was one that was free from fear and pain. And the way to do that was to pursue what they would call a simple life. It was characterized by self-control, stability of the mind. Epicurus, uh, the followers of Epicurus saw anything that disrupted one's worldview or anything that could potentially lead to later dissatisfaction, those things were problematic. And so um, make things simple, make things easy. Avoid things that cause disruption. Now, sometimes Christians think that Epicurean philosophy was hedonistic, was indulgent, and just, you know, whatever makes you feel good, do it. But that's really not what Epicurus said. He didn't seek happiness through indulgence. He sought happiness through simplicity. Another way in which Christians are very familiar with Epicurus is that he was the author of what has become a very famous challenge to the existence of God, known as the problem of evil. Basically, Epicurus saw evil as incontrovertible proof that God wasn't real, because evil is antithetical to a God that purports to have created the world in which evil exists, especially if that God says that he's good. So Epicurus said, if God knows about our suffering, cares about our suffering, and can do something about our suffering, then why is there still suffering? And so he concluded that God is either not what he claims to be, or he's not there at all. Even centuries later, we still have people making counter-arguments to this. I could spend some time doing that, but I won't. You're welcome. So Paul was speaking to one group of people here that saw belief in God as just a way to introduce anxiety, dissatisfaction, and pain into our existence here. God was just a way to make things worse, not better. He certainly wasn't a source of redemption and freedom. Now, the Stoics did not agree with the Epicureans. They saw pain and struggle not as something to be avoided, but as things that, through their endurance, produce clear judgment and an inner sense of calm. See, the goal was the same as the Epicureans, freedom from suffering and happiness and contentment, but the Stoics said you had to experience pain to be free from it. The mindset was very much in the moment. Future and past weren't really relevant. You were to be present at all times in your mind. A lot of modern versions of some Eastern philosophies are connected in some way to this Stoic ideal. Now, the Stoics would have seen the gospel as superstition. They believed the only ethical and moral law was natural. A lot of people say Stoicism is the same thing as atheism, but it's not true. Most early Stoics believed that there was some sort of spiritual, metaphysical realm where the gods were. And they even said things that sounded very similar to things you can find in the Bible. For example, one very famous Stoic quote is, We are like a little appendage of Zeus, and who is an appendage to question the plans of the whole body? Well, that sounds a little bit like the scripture about the body of Christ, doesn't it? So it's at least possible, knowing what we know now about those two schools, 
that Paul could have found some potential entry points with these people, some points of commonality, some things that he could bring up to get them to at least give him the floor for a little longer. But as verse 18 reads, at first they really didn't have any idea what to do with him. They called him a babbler. So Paul went to the Areopagus. It's translated as Mars Hill or Ares Hill. Ares was the Greek god of war. Mars was his Roman equivalent. The Greeks believed that on this large slab of marble, which is really what the hill was, Ares was tried by the gods for the murder of Poseidon's son. So this site was used by the Greeks in this time as a court where murderers were brought to trial. The parallels here are delicious, aren't they? Just as Jesus was brought before a tribunal in front of Pilate, Paul has now been brought to a place where trials occurred. Now, he wasn't being tried, but it was a place where trials would occur. In this case, Paul's message was the defendant. Paul was the advocator. Now, verse 19 states that the people asked, may we, but the word is actually better translated, can we? I think the people were actually asking Paul if it was even possible for them to understand this new gospel message. They knew they were not Jews, and really they were only familiar with the Greek myths that had been passed down for generations in their society. I don't think they were asking permission from Paul to hear it. I think it was more of a demand. It was an insistence of Paul that, they, that he provide the information necessary for them to be able to judge the gospel message and determine if it had any validity. I think this is supported by the word used for would like to know. In the Greek, that is actually a stronger sentiment. It's more of a command. It denotes a strong intention to know. I think essentially they were telling Paul, we've gone to the trouble of bringing you here. Now here's what you owe us in return. I think the English translation for these two verses is far too casual. Paul was not just going to be philosophical entertainment for these people. They were genuinely curious and intrigued at what Paul was saying. Because as crazy as it might have sounded to them, they were bewildered by it. And their curiosity and their, their desire for knowledge was pushing them forward. And then in verse 21, we see a second piece of support for that. It lets us see that it was the newness, the novelty of Paul's message that was grabbing their attention. You see, the search for truth never stopped there. Even, after that, even at that time, the Stoics, the Epicureans, and the third school of thought, the skeptics, were constantly arguing with each other about very deep beliefs and ideas and trying to figure out where the truth actually lay. New information, like what Paul was bringing, would have been very valuable to them, even though it was from an area that was foreign to them in many ways. So Paul takes the opportunity and begins to speak. And what he said there on Ares Hill makes this site a tourist attraction even today. Next time we talk, we'll start getting into exactly what Paul said to them. And there is a great deal to talk about. Until that time, take care and we'll see you soon.